Westworld Theorycast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Cufflinks.com. Go to Cufflinks.com right now and use code DVR20 to save 20% off your order, no minimum. Cufflinks.com is the men's accessory marketplace. They aim to drive men to one place where they can find all the accessories they could want to elevate their look each and every day. Now, we all know that Cufflinks.com has Game of Thrones, Star Wars, Star Trek, Mandalorian, Disney, every amazing geeky thing. They have products that match your desires, as well as having the classic wearable art brands like Ox and Bull, Hook and Albert, and of course, Cufflinks' own brand, Cufflinks, baby. Now, we all know that there's a coronavirus going around and we want everyone to be safe and happy. And a lot of things have been canceled, okay? And a lot of sales that Cufflinks had have been canceled too. NCAA, things like that. But they have now put over 700 items on their sale page to get a great discount while people are planning that next outing with their friends. When this all clears up, and you go out, you're still going to have to look good. So head over to cufflinks.com today. We wish you and your family well. Have a great day. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Westworld Theorycast. My name, of course, is Axel. My co-host today and every Monday is Ken. Ken, how you feeling? I am feeling A-OK. Despite these weird times we're living in, I am feeling great, and I'm ready to talk about some Westworld. Me too. This is a welcome distraction, and yes. um, you know, just getting into this is, I think, helping us all cope. So we're going to keep talking about Westworld today. Today, we're going to be talking about Westworld Season 3, Episode 2, The Winter Line. Remember, we come to you three times a week, Ken and I Monday, Wednesday, me, Jenny, and Brett, Friday the cleanup techs, Gina, Tim, and Andy, and they all had great shows last week. I want to thank all of the, you know, that was the first time we, all of us had all worked together. Each show was the first time and they all turned out great. And that's just a testament to everyone's dedication and, and talent. It was great. Um, you can find out more about our podcast at DVR Podcast Network, dvrpodcast.com. Covering Better Call Saul with Ashea from History of Westeros. Check that out. Do take a moment to write a review and subscribe. It really does help us out. You can also become a patron at patreon.com slash DVR. For a dollar a month, you can get, what do we do, like five podcasts a week ad-free. We do exclusives as well. So uh, get on and do that. Yesterday, I was on with Hacks Dogma and Robert, that's In Deep Geek on YouTube, and that's over on the Patreon. That was a fun pre-show where we talked about a lot of the stuff that actually happened in the episode. So you can also check out Robert's channel, In Deep Geek. I'll put a link to the video in the show notes of today's show. But let's get on to talking about this, the winter line. Um, just a little background. The Winter Line was a series of German and Italian military fortifications in Italy constructed during World War II. Uh, there was a series of three lines to defend a western section of Italy. Now, I had hoped one of these was the Maginot Line, but it wasn't because I just love that. What movie was that in? The Maginot Line. Do you remember that, Ken? <laughs> um, God, what movie was that? I mean, what that's like that? – 
it's like um well it was a real line but it was in france um and the germans just went around it (laughs) so it wasn't that great of a line of fortification so um but I think it's been probably featured in a number of World War II movies. Yeah, but, that, I yeah. just rem- I always remember that. That's like from history class, the Maginot Line. Yeah. Um, I guess this refers to where Maeve is, but perhaps also this refers to what we get kind of at the end um, yeah. when um, Sirach is kind of talking about protecting what he yeah. thinks he's doing with Rehoboam. So I think that's kind of where the title fits in here. Yeah, because he was setting up a series of fortifications yeah. yep. by doing like a simulation within a simulation and sort of c- trying to isolate the threat that he thought Maeve might be. And then, of course, he comes to find out that um, that the danger lurks elsewhere. Um, but we'll get to all of that. But yes, I, I mean, th- that's spot on. And that's exactly what I was thinking as far as what the title might mean um, for this great episode of Westworld. They're on a roll because, you know, season two ended so strongly. And now season three is like gangbusters. Yeah, I, I love this episode, uh, you know, just as a kind of basic reaction to it. I just felt that it had so many... I mean, almost Twilight Zone-esque elements of it was the the mystery was encapsulated within the episode, not the season. You know, I I really enjoyed that. I loved the stuff with Maeve. I loved what they, you know, Stubbs. And I just thought, you are right, man. You know, I was worried. I have to admit, I was worried coming into this season that they were kind of dumbing down the show or making it more simple. And- I think it's just they they challenge themselves to keep it as deep and intellectual and fun, um, but also with letting you know what's happening earlier. And yeah. I think that's prob- that might benefit them. You know, um, the storytelling was fantastic. I agree. I mean, they sort of left what what you would think would be a calling card with an after credit scene uh, featuring Maeve. And that sort of usually means that the next chapter of the story will feature that 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 character that was featured in in the final scene. And they did do that. But then they once again subverted expectations. It was Maeve centric, but not in the way you thought it would be Maeve centric, particularly if you had seen the trailer for season three. Um, the fact that it ended up kind of being a puzzle within a puzzle really did subvert expectations. Um, the fact that they brought back characters that I, I missed um, was also great just on an emotional level. And I was saying to you right before we started recording, so I'll say it again. This episode was as funny as I think Westworld is ever going to get. They're never going to be like a ha-ha, jokey-jokey show. But whenever Lee Sizemore is on the scene, then Westworld is as funny as it's going to get because he is sort of their comedy relief character. The actor is so good. He's so good playing that character. And he's the sort of character who could easily be a joke in any other movie or TV show or get killed within the first 30 minutes, but they've really managed to make him a three dimensional, well thought out character. Who's both likable, funny, and 
and the quote-unquote comedy relief of Westworld. Yeah, and I think that's I, – I, I kind of feel like Sizemore is what made it work. You yeah. know, it not not only for the actual programmed simulation for Maeve to believe it because of the connection that they had, yeah. but for the audience as well, he puts you off guard and yeah. with his humor, his charm, but also you're not you're never quite sure. You know, you think he's telling the truth and he's kind of changed, but you're kind of, you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. still Lee, so he does have his self interest at heart, um, and his hurt. You know, wanting to be a hero, so that really sold it for me. And I have to admit, it wasn't until it broke down did I really realize what was happening. Yeah. And I was, and when I did realize, um, my wife can attest to this. I did one of my, I was like, yes, this is awesome. <laughs> she, she, of course, was like, why are the walls moving? And I was like, <laughs> you know, cause she, she, my wife is extremely intelligent, but she's not as much of a geek as me. And I was like, yeah. honey, it's in a, they're in a simulation, you know? And, uh, well, they actually got me twice because I'm just like – usually I'm just along for the ride when I'm watching a show like this. Uh, I try to immerse myself and just go moment to moment. So they actually got me twice. Like the Hector reveal got me mm-hmm. um, and then and then the Sizemore reveal also got me. Um, and so I was delighted. I had the, I probably had the same reaction that you did, which is just pure joy at sort of the geeky science fictiony, you know, inceptiony quality yep. to it. Kind of like the dream within the dream sort of thing. Um, because I love crap like that. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's just really good stuff. I live for it, man. I, you know, I mean, when I am, you know, people have their like kind of comfort food and you know i love reality tv and such but give me like a spaceship or a computer simulation and i just it makes me feel calm and like i don't know i just love it yeah they got me the the part with hector i love that we open right back up in war world is what they're calling it i thought that the the shots were beautiful um i really like that shot just kind of coming like sweeping in as Maeve is in the window and yeah. it was such great focus that you could even see the background and the shadow it was just really I mean the camera work on this show and the effects are amazing yeah. and when Hector came in I was like okay I you know I think we all recognize it's got you know the emotion she had in her face before we see him that it was Hector yeah and um <clears throat> excuse me I was like Hmm. I we've been here before because remember in season one, there was a point at which she thought he was awake, but he wasn't. And she was kind of questioning and she had that same kind of reaction like, oh, my dear boy. And I just but pretty quickly, I could tell that she was talking about one thing and he was talking about another thing. But it wasn't until. He said, you know, they're going to get us. And then she finally realized, oh, you, you're not talking about leaving the park. You're talking about leaving this little battle we're in. And she realized what was going on. And man, Thandie Newton, she is just, you know, what an actress because 
the expressions on her face, the deepness of it. She just has her eyes can go from like daggers to just like oceans in a moment. And the way she kind of treats him, she's sad, but then she quickly realizes, okay, I have to take control of this. But the thing that was confusing me and that was kind of sticking in my mind and when the simulation was revealed, why, you know, so quickly besides being a sci-fi junkie, I recognize it is she wasn't using any of her powers, you know, she wasn't telling everyone to free. And it's almost as if. She realized she couldn't do it, but couldn't quite understand why. Like she thought maybe she had been changed or when she was asleep and I was still trying to figure out, wait, is she back in this thing? Because, um, you know, uh, Sizemore, this was just in the beginning, was trying to protect her. Yeah. And then when or was Felix and Sylvester trying to protect her. And then when they don't recognize her, they did it in such a way that you could have thought they were just being super careful. Right, 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 right. Yes. You know, so I did, that didn't give it away too much. And especially when it's um, Sylvester kind of calls security on her, he might've done that anyway. Exactly. <laughs> that was in character. Yeah. So yes. it worked perfectly. It was just so well written. Um, yeah. But, you know, Thandie Newton just carried this episode in such a remarkable way. And I loved – what did you think of the whole war world? I loved the whole thing of it. And I, Hector was looking nice, man. I mean, it was great. Yeah. It was great. I kind of missed the scar a little bit, I yeah. have to say. Um, but it was nice to see him – in another playing another role uh, being recast in another way and flexing different muscles that he, um, you know, as a Torre than he did as Hector. Um, he was very like Humphrey Bogart in Casablanca, like freedom fighter against the Nazis. Um, so I really dug it. And I was sad, of course. I mean, you're supposed to be sad with the realization that he was, playing out a storyline it's kind of he was in a loop just like in a way he was he never really left the loop in some ways he never really escaped the loop from westworld either not to the degree that Maeve did um and so here he is once again in a loop chasing the thing that it's never going to happen. She has this great line. They write this great line for her where she mentions the safe from West, uh, from season one and, um, and how she correlates it to, you know, you're never going to leave on this plane. It's just like the safe that, you know, so, um, so great callback to that, um, to another loop that he used to be trapped in. Um, it was great to see, and it was great to see their chemistry. That was the best thing about it. It's just the easy chemistry between the two of them. Um, you know, you don't always feel that kind of chemistry between actors, sadly. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't, or you do feel it in varying degrees. These two actors have a ton of chemistry, and it was just fun to see them playing. She also has great chemistry with the actor who plays uh, Lee Sizemore. Yes. And so it was great to see that banter as well. Um, and, uh, and, and that scene where he kisses her at, towards the end, 
was great. Both actors played it brilliantly. Um, yeah, it was great. I, I, yeah, I, he is so fantastic. And I think that another part that sold me is that I so wanted him to be back on the show. Yeah. You know, I was so happy to see him and they, they caught, you know, the part was like, you know, I got shot six times and he's limping and everything. It, It really did sell you. And then when they come up with their plan and Maeve is continuing with now, you know, she wants to go be with her daughter. Let's go to the forge. And then he says, well, you know, you know where they are really quickly. She, it's almost like she doesn't really respond to him because they have to keep this kind of this story, this trick going. But I had to pause the show and turn to my wife and say, okay, honey. Um, because I think that she, we're trying to figure out whether she watched the end of last season. I can't quite remember because sometimes I had to like watch it early so I could jump on YouTube or something, but I'm pretty sure that she ended up watching it, but I could guess that for a good amount of people who were watching when he said that, yeah, that was a signal. No, Maeve was on the top. She had no idea what happened inside yeah. the Ford. She had no idea that, that um, uh, Dolores and Bernard had their whole thing and basically like, you know, and then he took her out and then she came back and she's, he had, she had no idea any of that happened. Um, So I knew right then and there that they were on a fool's errand and that this was going to end in either something was up or they were going to have to then try to figure out what the hell had happened because the thing had been smashed. They would have not known where the forge had been beamed away to. Yeah. Um, and I explained that to my wife really quickly. And I think she was like, Oh, okay. I think I, I think I kind of remember that, but I like that they are calling that stuff back to yeah. last season, because that was another thing I was afraid that they were going to kind of like not do that as much. And I thought that that was kind of like a cool little nod to the fact that last season we were confused as to what was happening in different exactly. times and different people, but so are the other people. Right? Well, it's, I mean, it's such a well-written, show, I mean. it's such a well-written way to explain something that might've been confusing on multiple levels. So you can do that. Often that's done in a really ham handed um, way, ham fisted way where it's obvious that's what they're doing and it's clunky. And you know that it's just like insert, uh, you know, plot explanation here. Um, But the writers of Westworld are truly talented and they were able to sort of sum up something which maybe they felt like might have been confusing to a lot of viewers, which it kind of was. And then, but do it in such an organic way through kind of the fishing thing that Serac was doing with Maeve, which you come to find out that that's what this whole simulation is about. He's looking for information. He's looking to see how big of a threat she is. So he's fishing for information. And so, but we don't know that at the time, but, 
through that construct, they get to logically plant information and end up explaining something from the end of season two, which is sort of genius on multiple levels. Yeah, it was great. And they did a really great job of it because I didn't need, I, I paused it and explained it. Yeah. And I didn't need to do that because when they got to the forge, they, it's right there in the dialogue, right? She yeah. says, I was on the top. I yeah. was not in this room. I have, yeah. and then she figures, she looks at the blood. She figures yeah. out what happened. Yeah. Then she starts getting that feeling and talking to him. And as he is, and I don't, I think most people have noticed it now because they did the aspect ratio change, though it's not truly an aspect ratio change. They're really just sliding black bars down over the same aspect ratio, but, and then it starts to tighten and yeah. get smaller. And then we're in what it looked like when we were in the forge and the cradle. And I thought this was brilliant. I have to admit, I don't, you know, I don't like to give myself too much credit but last season, I went on a whole rant where I dreamed of a point at which it would go the other way, that we would be, we would think we were in the forge and then the aspect ratio would widen out, you know, and we'd be in the real world. So it went the other way where we thought we were in the real world and then it tightens into it. And I thought that was really cute. I know that. You know, the Nolan brothers love doing that. Christopher Nolan always yes. shoots on different aspects, ratios, and different film stocks and, and you know, yeah. uh, like huge Panavision vistas, and then it changes while you're watching it. So I thought that was a really cool touch. And the whole way that Maeve realizes what's happening, it it's so quick that... I I like that they kept that in her character just in the same quick way that she realized what was up with Hector and then she took and she shot herself she knew she had to get back to Lee then yeah. you know she goes along this same exact as soon as it dawns on her it it that is the world and she accepts it yes yeah well I love I mean and then from a character point of view you know, spending so much time with Dolores last week and spending this much time with Maeve this week, there the the differences between the two women are further delineated by being able to spend so much time with each of them and and where they have evolved to at this point. So now by the end of the second hour, it's further um it's further obvious to all of us the wide gulf that exists between Maeve and Dolores, just as far as philosophy, point of view, where, what they want, um, what they hope for. And so that was also a great thing about this episode is that it gave us time with Maeve, but then it gave us time to contrast her with where we saw Dolores last week. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. And that has a lot of resonance where after Maeve figures it out and then she she starts hacking the system yeah. um when he's talking with Sarak we get we really feel that with the with Dolores and Maeve and their differences but I loved what she did because she used uh, she used against this system the thing that w- drove her mad in Westworld and the thing you mentioned earlier, which is the loops, yeah. right? Like that's the old, 
thing, if you want to mess with a computer program, you stick it in a loop. And there was a bit of Matrix homage here, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. she even said, you're the architect. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, or no, you're the – no, he called her the – um, uh, not – what do they say in the Matrix? Not the prophet, but – Oh, uh, um, the uh- – uh, we're both uh, all right. We'll the get Oracle, the Oracle, right? Exactly. Yes. He, she yes. said Oracle because they had said architect as well. Yes. So they're both the Oracle, the architect. I love that. But I thought that was so cool. The way she sticks all the notes in everyone. And then it just messes up the program so much. It doesn't know how to react. And yes. she uses that as, you know, and then he, and then if you, if you're looking Sizemore has basically maybe is working. She somehow in also changed his program and using him as her tool. And he's done the same thing inside the Mesa where all the scientists are, keep on talking in loops to each other in the same room. Right, right, right. Because of the, what's the square root of negative yeah. one conundrum, um, which is actually a real conundrum. So it was really great that they like, <laughs> that she was able to throw something out there that is vexing real, real mathematicians and real scientists. Um, and it's a real kind of hot topic, I guess. Um, not that I know that because math and science aren't really my, <laughs> my thing. My mind doesn't really work that way, but I just thought it was really interesting. I agree with you. And, and the great thing about it is they laid all of this groundwork in throughout the end of season one, throughout season two, that Maeve was someone who had assimilated the knowledge of, of like technical knowledge yeah. by spending so much time on Felix and Sylvester's pad, uh, tablet. She had already been getting a lot of information about the technology of the quote unquote real world. So her ability to think on the fly last night was totally believable because the groundwork had already been laid that she had gained that sort of knowledge. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. She is so technically versed and the way her mind works is like I was saying, she just accepts, okay, this is the new problem moving on. And she also, as she did Last season, she loves to use her enemies' weaknesses against them, and she loves to use whatever methodology her enemy uses tells her something about them. And yeah. that, and then she uses, like, she immediately figures out, okay, we got to do the loop thing. And then she puts the plan into action. And that's what I thought was so cool about this episode is you could see them in the writer's room saying, Hey, we could really spread this out to like three episodes. Yeah. You know, that she's stuck in this and we don't find out that it's a uh, simulation until like maybe the third episode that we check in with Maeve. Yeah. But, uh, But maybe that's a factor of only having eight episodes this season. But I think that it is a benefit to the audience because it works better as just an episode of television that you can return to and remember like before we started talking um or started recording you had said that this in a way reminded you of the Akacheta episode it did and um what what was it that that kind of clued you into that well um 
it felt in a way like a bottle episode, but just a really great bottle episode and something that's still organically tied to the rest of the story. So it reminded me of that in that sense. Um, but it also reminded me of um, that episode just because of the humor that was used um, and the um, – no, I I – meant the Shogun episode. Oh, the Shogun. Two. Oh, that's right. The right, Shogun right. episode. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, because it's also – that episode also used a, a kind of sly humor. It also featured Lee Sizemore. Um, they, and, and they both sort of deconstructed Westworld's own mythology by pointing out loops, by pointing out technology. Um so th- that's what made me think – that's what reminded me of the Shogun episode is how they commented on the making. Like Lee Sizemore had lots of dialogue about – in both episodes about the creation of the thing itself. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is really smart and interesting. Yeah, that was great. Was that was that your loop ending in the background there, Ken? <laughs> no, it's actually uh, – <laughs> It's actually a delivery. Amazon oh. calls. <laughs> Amazon. I know they're still working. Good. They are. Thank, Bless thank hearts. you, Amazon. Yes. <laughs> oh, the doggy comes in. Hey, doggo. Um, do you want to take a little quick break? I do. Yeah. Okay. Cause they're cool. going to. Yep. Okay. Imagine if you could listen to a podcast where James Delos tells you why he bought Westworld. Well, James Delos isn't real, but Christopher Slough of Reddit. Brandon Hillcart of Bark and Cortland Allen of Indie Hackers are. And so is Code Story. Code Story is a podcast interviewing the tech visionaries about their journeys building products from nothing to something amazing. Code Story is a podcast interviewing the tech visionaries about their journeys. Like How I Built This with Guy Raz, this is the same type of podcast, but bend towards those in the tech world. In the show, host Noah Labhart digs into the critical details about what it takes to change an industry, how the tech visionary got started building their world-changing product, what sort of trade-offs they had to make in the beginning, and how they coped with them. Our tech leaders are not only brilliant builders, they're humans, and they have a human story to tell. Hey, I've listened to the podcast, and it's awesome. So if you're listening to this podcast, you're into tech. And if you want to hear the real human stories behind that tech, Code Story is the podcast for you. Subscribe to Code Story now on every major podcast platform. Code Story, the future is now. All right, we are back. Um, So let's talk about when this awesome robot... Uh, escapes. So awesome. <laughs> I loved it, dude. I love this robot. It was so cool. And the way she did it and the fact that she could see, yeah. it was so matrixy the way that she could see into the real world from the simulation. Yeah. That was so was. neat. But like, before we get into the awesomeness of the robot and how I wish the robot would continue in the story somehow and how in a short time the robot seemed like a three-dimensional character, which is really weird yeah. and funny. Um, but before we get into all that, let me ask you a question about the room that the robot was working in and then ultimately, quote-unquote, rescued Maeve. Were there, there were other pearls in there, right? It looked like there were a lot of other pearls in there. Yes. So, so okay. I'm glad. I'm 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 glad that I wasn't imagining that. So then, 
does Sarak secretly has he stolen a bunch of Delos pearls? Obviously he has because he had Maeve and he has all those other ones that were in that room. Yep. So as far as I know, that's still Delos property, intellectual property and physical property. So what's he doing with them? How, how did he get them? I guess it's the first question. And we know what he was doing with Maeve. He was shopping. He was fishing for information. So you could make the assumption that all the other pearls that he has, regardless of who they are, he's doing the same thing. He's fishing for information about whatever, maybe trying to find out stuff about Delos. Um, but I thought that was really interesting. I guess my main question is, how did he get those pearls? That is a great question. And I think you're absolutely right because you could look at it from two aspects. You know, you could, when you initially see that her pearl is in there and there's so many other ones, you could think to yourself, oh, are those pearls the other, you know, the other people, right? Representations that were inside her simulation. But I don't think so. I think each one of those pearls is inside their own simulation. I agree. And he's extracting information, as you said. How he gets it lends me to think about something that I'd actually talked about with Robert and Hacks on the pre-show, which is, has he been, has Rehoboam been able to see what is happening inside Westworld the same mm. way it's able to see what's happening in the real world. Because if everyone has implants now and the yeah. implants are what Rehoboam is tapping into or these little uh, like communion wafers that they take, right? right? For sleeping or for whatever else they're going to do, probably mood modification, yeah, yeah, enjoyment, whatever, you know, um, are they also being tracked? So that, you know, has he been in the system the whole time? Has he, does he know everything that Ford was doing? Was he in contact with Ford? Is there a history between them? Were they once friends? Was Arnold and Sirach, you know, like programming buddies? Right. And was there a falling out? I mean, obviously there's an adversarial relationship at this point. Um, because I don't believe – there's no indication that whatever Sirach is doing, he's doing with Delos's blessing. So – and, yeah. no. and so it seems like whatever relationship there's been in the past, if there's been one, what – so whatever's happened before, there's an – it seems adversarial now because it seems like he's looking for maybe weaknesses. He's looking for information. He's looking to 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 – possibly take Delos down even more down than they already are because of how the parks malfunctioned. Um, So like, what is his, um, maybe he saw the danger of the hosts right away and couldn't convince Robert and Arnold that they would be dangerous. So maybe he's been preparing for this quote unquote war for a long time. Um, And so, Maybe this is just the the latest iteration of that war that he's been preparing for slash fighting slash it's 
uh, conceding because he had that great line with May where he's like, it's a war we've already lost. Yeah, this was a great – yeah, he – I actually found a um, uh, transcript um, and I'm going to read it because I think it's really interesting. Um, yeah. We're in the middle of a war and I need your help to win it. No one knows it's happened yet or that it's already been lost. I don't concern myself with the present. My business is the future. Then she says, so you're an oracle. And he says, an oracle would merely predict the future. Our work is to create it. Unfortunately, if things continue on this path, there isn't any future, at least not for my kind. Um, he says, for the most part, humanity has been a miserable band of thugs stumbling from one catastrophe to the next. Our history is like the ravings of a lunatic chaos, but we've changed that. For the first time, history has an author. And then Maeve says, that would be you? He says, no, something I built. A system. And up until very recently, this system was working. We were creating a better world. And then it stopped. And then he says, the dangerous thing I couldn't predict, which turns out to be Dolores, he thinks, but also in a sense, it is Maeve. It's, it seems to be the, the rise of independent AI. Like Rhea yeah. Boehm is kind of an, an omniscient AI that, that, that's purpose is to make humanity better, that all these things we saw with Aaron Paul, you know, having a score and, and, and yeah. the way he gets a job that, you know, the program has figured out this is better for people, better than war, right? Better than – so it's really interesting that we had heard so much from William yeah. about how the technology of Westworld – had changed the world and that there was no more war. People didn't have to be sick. Right. Yeah. Um, all this kind of stuff, but he didn't say anything. Well, maybe they hadn't written it yet about Rehoboam, but yeah. the whole time they have been running concurrently. Yeah. And it seems like it almost seems like a Charles Widmore, Benjamin Linus. Exactly, schism. dude. That's what I it was seemed, thinking. It's lost. It's that up. It's that next level. It's like two rich white men with completely different <laughs> philosophies fighting it out and using the world as their battleground mm -hmm. and using humanity as their battleground. So it seems like, and this is just wild speculation. I don't know anything, but I guess what I'm thinking, here's where my head is now. It seems like maybe there was, like Arnold, Arnold obviously gave up on humanity. I don't know if he had been leaning that way before his child died, but certainly after his child died and he started investing more in Dolores, um, he turned his back on humanity and decided that the future was creating a new form of humanity within these hosts um and which he's you know he started to see dolores as like a new child of his um that he needed to protect and nurture so that seems to be worlds away from what sarak is talking about and what he talked about at the end of the episode which he wants to make human he wants to try to improve humanity he doesn't want to turn his back on humanity but Sirak is also like if i have to control humanity in order to make it better yep. i'm willing to do that but i'm not willing to turn my back on humanity which is evidently if there's a schism 
that's what the schism is, is that Arnold turned his back on humanity and Ciroc isn't willing to do that. Yeah. he Ciroc has more of an um, Adrian Veidt from Watchmen feel, uh, Ozymandias, where yes. he's willing to – you know, it it seems if Rehoboam said, "Well, a million people in Indiana have to die for think for this other war not to happen," he'd be like, "Make it so." Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, he feels like he has, and I, and you know, Maeve says to him, "You know, he pitches her, does his whole pitch, and then you know, he wants Maeve to track down Dolores and take her out." Yeah, and Maeve is. Of course, suspicious. What are your real aims? What are your, how far will you go? And we find out very quickly that though he seems to be enamored and amazed by Maeve now, he's not above changing her programming so she can have a Bernard-like kill switch. I thought that that was a weird parallel there. That it was. Bernard has his little switch. Ciroc yeah. has his little switch. Is somebody going to switch those at some point? <laughs> you know, <that's, laughs> I feel like, right, they're going to switch yeah. them. And instead of turning Maeve off, he's going to turn Bernard on and Bernard's going to take him out. You know, um, <laughs> little prediction. But Like they're like they're both going to drop their fobs and then they're going to exactly. pick up the wrong fob. Yep, yep. Right, the old right, switcheroo, right. baby. <laughs> um, it's, it's also the second episode in a row where the concept of a simulation within a simulation was brought up, which has why. Wild implications for future events because now, see, here's the great thing about hard science fiction. Here's one of the great things about hard science fiction. Whenever I watch a future episode of Westworld now, I'm going to wonder in the back of my mind, is this a simulation? <laughs> Which well, is a yeah. great layer of paranoia and introspection to bring into a, watching an episode of television. It is. And, and you know, that is a – Theory going around um, that a lot of people had after the first episode. We didn't talk much about it. And on previous seasons, you know, we had mentioned they, the whole thing could be a simulation. You know, Westworld is in a computer, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And then we found, well, actually, Westworld is in a computer, but it's called the cradle or the four. We see it differently. But I think that um, People were thinking that the Dolores stuff in the first episode was inside a simulation. And I wonder, I haven't really been looking around the internet too much today or listening to too many podcasts about this episode yet, but you know how the world is. It's like, are people going to watch this and be like, well, they wouldn't do that again. Or are people going to watch it and be like, oh, of course they're going to do that again. It's all a simulation, you know, like it can take it either way. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but um, oh, but the but the relation, the instant kind of uh, energy between Ciroc and Maeve was interesting. Um, it's interesting that they both um, initially seemed like equals until the very end yeah. when he revealed his kill switch. Um, but I've no doubt, despite that ending, I've no doubt that Maeve can figure out a workaround um, because that's just who she is. She's wily. She's clever. Yep. She thinks on her feet. She's a survivor. Um, this is all sort of hardwired, pardon the pun, into her. Um, so even though 
it, it, the, the ending had a twist in which it seems like Maeve, he has Maeve under his thumb. I don't know if I completely trust that because if anyone's going to find a way around this, it's going to be Maeve. Definitely. Definitely. And that was a heartbreaking look on her face when, it it, was. you know, she realized and she's frozen. Yeah. I think that my thought is when he was talking to her, okay, they're going to work together. When he pulled that move, my only thought was Dolores is going to print Maeve a new body and they're going to work, end up working together in some fashion because there's no way that Maeve is ever going to trust this guy or want to yeah. work with him after he did that. Good ne- point. Never. Excellent point. I hadn't even really fleshed that out in my head until you said that, but excellent point. Um, Maeve, um, you know, the, the funny thing about, about, um, about Maeve and, uh, and about Dolores is that they both take things personally, but they take things personally in different ways. Um, but they both take things personally. And so, um, so you're absolutely right. Maeve is never, ever going to forget that he did that to her. Yeah. And it was, cause it was messed up too. She, her whole journey is about, you know, and all of their journey is about their, their self discovery and their self control and their autonomy and to take yeah. that away and turn her back into what she was is terrible. My, I just have a question is what for me at the end of it, I, everything went by and I say, okay, now what he wanted from Maeve, but he did want that information of where the forge is. I don't think that it was, I I think he wanted to know if she knew where it was. But do you think I agree with that? But do you think that he also, yes, he does want to stop Dolores, but I yeah. think also he may want that the forge because remember the forge is all of the guests information yeah. plus they uploaded hosts into so it's like a treasure yeah. trove of IP. Yeah. Oh, absolutely he wants it and um and who knows like D- Dolores had the ambiguous line at the end of season 2 that she sent it where no one were, would ever find it. Yep. Like that was the exact line. I sent it where no one will ever find it. But what does that mean? Like, and, and is she overestimating herself? Will someone find it? <laughs> and I love that it's come back too, because yeah. leading up to this season, I was, we did a couple pre pods on the trailers and I was saying, I really hope they bring that back. I hope that they don't just say, oh, it was beamed away. We can never go there. I like the fact that it came up again. I like the fact that we could potentially see characters, Teddy, Akacheta, yeah. that yeah. that went there, and yes. and that we could even visit this idyllic land of the Forge. I think it's you know it's just kind of cool all the way around. Well, it 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 never occurred to me until the middle of or towards the end of the episode that I don't know if Maeve's end. Has a, I don't know if Maeve's character has a satisfying end without somehow be, being reunited with the Forge. Yeah, that's true because because of, of her daughter. Right. There, there's another. I do want to bring up. We'll we'll get to talking about um, old Bernard. Yeah. Um, but I <laughs> do want to bring up that I read a uh, online somewhere. Someone had a theory that um, Hale 
is actually Maeve's daughter and that Dolores took her out of the forge and sent her somewhere different because she knew that Maeve could eventually become her enemy. Interesting. I don't, I just wanted to mention it now, since you mentioned her daughter and reuniting in the forge that we may get that in a different way. Yeah. Um, and I thought that that's kind of interesting if Dolores, because we've seen now moving on to Bernard, we've seen how Bernard is on the run and what did, De- was it Dolores that set him up through Hailbot to say yeah. that he was responsible for everything? So it, Dolores being Dolores, just as intelligent as Maeve and looking a million steps ahead, it would yeah. be smart to do something like that. So I thought that was kind of, that'd be kind of cool if we, you know, she gets to the forge and then she's like, you know, where are you, honey? <laughs> you know, like, she turns <laughs> well, around and it's hail. It's like, I'm different now, mama. Well, the through line for Bernard the whole time, though we didn't know it was the through line for the first seven episodes of season one, but it turns out that the through line for him has always been how much of his life is his own versus how much of it is Robert, how much of it is Arnold, how much of it is now Dolores. I like how much of his head is his own and how much of it is things that other people have planted in his head. Yeah. Um, and that seems to be the through line for his character, which is creating sort of paranoia and vulnerability, which I find really interesting. And how is – so specifically, I mean, in season three, episode two, we're what we're wondering is how is Dolores using Bernard – in is she use and how might she be using him in a way that he's not aware of? That's a great um, point, which is a really interesting question, and it's a question he seems to be obsessed with as well because he keeps thinking that she is um, that she is infiltrating him without his knowledge. Um, which is really interesting. And why is she letting him be on the run? Like, why did she create him in the first place? Why did she rebuild him a body if only to put him on the run or to put him in a situation where he was going to be on the run? What's the end game here? She said she needed him at the end of season two, but he's been on the run and he's in hiding. So how, how is that helping her or is it helping her in a way that we don't know yet? Like, I mean, how, what strings is she pulling that we're not aware of? So that's interesting about the, continues to be interesting when you think about the Bernard storyline. But specifically, boy, I did not know that I wanted Bernard to hook up with Stubbs um, because (laughs) they have wildly different, like, personalities and they have different energies and the two energies together were really interesting. They were, they were. Yeah. And I, just to take a step back to what you were saying about Dolores, it does make me wonder what the rules of engagement for their war are according yeah. to her could, because yeah. she brought him back. Um, so, you know, I, w- I had said on the pre-show, it's like, did she say, was it kind of like, okay, as soon as you step out the door, it's on, you know what I mean? And then yeah, yeah. she's like already off with hail, blaming everything on him. You, I, I want, I hope that we go back 
and see a little bit of that and understand better because I think you're absolutely right. She sold it as I am a higher being who needs to have a uh, um, an opposite, an opposition in order to thrive. I understand it enough to create it myself, you know? Yeah. Um, but there's more going on than just that. There has to be. And his his incessant checking of himself is part of that too. And it's cluing us in as an audience that exactly like you're saying, Ken, we should be thinking is Bernard really in control of himself right now? He's questioning it. We really should be questioning it. Was this whole trip to Westworld something yeah. that Dolores really wanted to be done? Exactly. You because, know? I mean, he, he's he's often asked himself these questions. In season two, it had a lot to do with what is my choice, what is Robert's choice that he's programmed for me. Um so a lot of it had to do with Robert in season two, um, but he's still asking the same questions. It's just he's asking them about Dolores now, though it is an interesting character point for Dolores that she lets characters like Maeve and Bernard exist at all. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I mean, if, if, if we're talking about the mother of dragons, which I know we're going to talk about Game of Thrones in a little while, but to – but to sort of bring it up now, if we're talking about Daenerys, Daenerys does not let a Maeve and a Bernard exist, right? Yeah. Um, because of her worldview, she can't allow that level of opposition. Yeah. So it is an interesting character point that Dolores allows them to exist at all. It is. And, and I think that's really the question is, is it because she is some higher being? Or is it just because she wants to use them for her own purposes, which is just like what a human would do right. in Westworld, True. right? Yeah. It's just like a story. It's just like something that Lee Sizemore wrote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Absolutely right. Um, yeah. Let's kind of let's, – let's enter into Bernard's story from the start because I wanted to mention that I just thought I had been waiting – for so we saw people like landing at the beach last season, but to see Bernard pull up on that boat, it was so Jurassic Park and and the big towers in the water and it was just really cool, man. I I absolutely loved it. And we see th there's only last episode we had three times where we saw the Rehoboam interstitials and the like the divergence. Yeah. This time we only see one, and that's here. And it shows Westworld's coordinates. Um and actually there was a little bit of trivia at the in the season one finale in the Finnish subtitles, I remembered this, there were coordinates and that's where everybody said, oh, Westworld's off the coast of China and was never confirmed. And now it's confirmed. That's actually the same coordinates yeah. that were mentioned in those Finnish subtitles. I just thought this whole thing with the boat and him coming there, man, you know, isn't it amazing how far television has come because it was such a film like shot and it, it looked beautiful. I just thought it was cool. I thought it was also interesting that everything is still in ruins. The park is not functioning. It's not like they have, 
you know, Shogun world is still working. No, the whole island is shut down. All the parks are shut down. And when Bernard goes to Ford's childhood home, he finds his broken tripod, which we remember when it got broken. Um, And then he finds, of course, the copies of himself and and Stubbs says that to him. Um, I thought the parks were shut down and he says they are, which I think is important because at that point, I don't think in the story we knew that the Maeve thing was a simulation. So they had kind of told us already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there are still people working underneath, but the parks themselves are closed down. Yeah. Absolutely right. Um and and he also noticed the blood on the wall when when he went into that office. Yes. Yeah. Which is a great callback to episode seven of season one where he kills um the woman he loves or at least thinks he loves. Yeah. Um we forget so, about that. Yeah. There's just like it's very subtle, but there was like a little shading of red on the wall and he looked at it. Um so um you know, I seen Stubbs um, uh, and seeing wh- where he is is both. It was really surprising to me, like how sad he was and how resigned to um, to his um, um, self destruction because he no longer quote unquote served a purpose. Um, was a really interesting place for his character to to reemerge at. Yeah. Um, I, I, I thought it was interesting. I thought it was um, sad. <laughs> um, and I, but I, I thought, okay, yeah, of course. I mean, sometimes stories like this can be really overly complicated. In this case, it's really simple. Ford designed him to do a specific thing. The thing didn't, from his point of view, didn't exist anymore. So then neither should he. And I think that's, that was, I love the way they said it. I thought yeah. that. You know, there were still some people out there who weren't quite sure that he was a host, but I think he was pretty obvious about it at the at the yeah. season finale. But yeah. I think it also spoke to me that Ford's plan was done, that there wasn't, you know, because I had suspected that perhaps Bernard would get to the island and he would try to find or run into Stubbs and, or Stubbs would say to, you know, come and find him and notice he was on the Island and help him. Like he was waiting for him or something, yeah. but he wasn't, that's the end of four. So people like myself and others who might be thinking, Hey, Ford's still in the programming. He's controlling this narrative. This is just a new story. He's telling this is kind of hinting towards, no, you know, Bernard is making his own decisions. Dolores is making her own decisions. Maeve is autonomous or they want you to think that at this point. Be- well, no, don't, don't under, don't undersell your, your brilliance, okay. Axel. Okay. <laughs> but it does, which I think they're trying, they were at least trying to get that to us by Stubbs saying that. Because- well, except that does Stubbs really miss that shot? Does he really miss uh, that shot? So, so like, so like, thinking back to the man in black saying there are no accidents. Yeah, I like that. You're right. And I, it, it took me a second to understand. Yeah. Was he trying to shoot out? Was he trying to shoot out and defuse the C4 so he could leave? 
or was he trying to blow it up? So it was that he was trying to blow it up. Yeah. yeah. But at first I thought, oh, wait, he said his job is over, but was he really trying to get off the island and go help Dolores or something like that? But I thought the whole thing was interesting and it gave um, this guy who we have dubbed at different points, the lesser Hemsworth, though, when he took off his shirt, he wasn't so lesser. No, guy, he's been working all. out. Um, <laughs> That's right. I love him. He's a great actor. Yeah. And I love the. F- it gave them the chance, him the chance to act more. Yeah. And I thought it was just, they do. You're right. There is a certain kind of, he brings, it's almost like he's got more of a stick up his ass than Bernard does. So he makes Bernard kind of seem, give a little levity to him. Maybe, you know, they yeah. kind of lighten each other. <laughs> Yeah, they do. <laughs> and I really I like their buddy cop. I like it. It's like, you yeah. know, lethal weapon. They're 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 out on the trail. Uh, you know, well, he's like uh what's his name? He tried to kill himself already, right? Yeah. Just like lethal weapon. Well, it's also ironically crafty of Bernard to change his programming at the end mm-hmm. so that he becomes his uh, in essence becomes his bodyguard. Yep. So so Bernard is not above changing another host's core programming himself, which is interesting. It's just an interestingly ironic character touch that they threw in there. Cause I mean, he would be the first to complain about Robert or Dolores doing that to him, but yet he did that to Stubbs. Yeah. I thought, and I thought it was funny the way Stubbs said, you could have just asked me to come along. <laughs> right, 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 right. Interesting. You know, you know but, but yeah. he would, but he wouldn't have because he, I get, you know, he did have to change his core directive. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's talk about the fun part. They yeah. go to the Mesa. We see these two guys um, messing really quick. I mean, as soon as, we, I think we see um, Dan first and then Dave. And yeah. as soon as I knew it was them, I screamed out. My wife said, what? I said, it's Dan and Dave. And then when they <laughs> pulled back and yeah. Drogon is there too, I, was, I just thought that this was brilliant. It was so funny. I'm so glad they did this. And it really – I think that this is a good way – for like after all the hecticness of last season, which we went through, Ken. Yeah, we it, did. <laughs> it was fun to have this little funny thing be like maybe their last HBO kind of appearance, you know? It was a really great button, right? It yeah. was just a great little final button to put on the whole rigmarole, the whole thing. Um, it was funny. Um, it was interest. It was also interesting on top of being funny. Like if you just take literally what you saw, um, it was interesting from like a hard science fiction point of view. Um, but it was mainly just a really funny button to put. Um, and it wasn't like a crazy, like let like Fonzie, um, jumping the sharks on the, on, on, you know, uh, you know, that that phrase like he jumped like they they jumped the shark um it it made sense in in this world that 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 would happen and the fact that it was dan and dave was just brilliant i loved it and there and there wait um there was some oh this was a line they said he's starting to carve up 
uh, looks like he's going to carve up Drogon and he says, I got a buyer. What? Some startup in Costa Rica, like Jurassic <laughs> Park. Right, right. How the fuck are you going to get that to Costa Rica? In pieces, man. That was great <laughs> stuff. And then I thought some people have been saying that the guy playing the loot was playing the Westworld theme, but I think he was playing the Game of Thrones theme. Interesting. Well, the other correlation, see, I hadn't even thought about it, so now I have to go back and watch that. But the other correlation is there was a sequel to Westworld, the movie, called Future World. Yeah. And the, 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 the whole idea behind Future World was that they were in a quote-unquote medieval world. Yep. And so having medieval world be kind of the area that they were in, basically it was like techs working on – the medieval world stuff even though the park isn't functioning anymore there were still people down there working on stuff including quote-unquote dan and dave so um but the idea that it was medieval world is sort of a nod to the sequel to the movie westworld made it even more fun and meta and it's and and i know that i'm gonna have to probably by wednesday we'll have this broken down when Bernard goes into um, the office to run his self-diagnostic, there's all this stuff in the background. And I'm pretty sure when that's blown up on the internet and people look, it's going to be Westeros stuff because it looked a little bit like Winterfell. There was a picture in the background. Yeah. Um, but I, you're absolutely right. I love the way that it was like a double homage, not only to everybody saying, and, you know, George R. R. Martin said, I hope they do Westeros world. I'm down for it, you know? Yeah. Not only that, but also to the sequel as well. I thought the whole thing was great. It didn't take me out of it at all. Yeah. I was able to laugh. And I think also the fact that it was also an episode where there's a simulation, right? Like it made it even more – it was just the perfect – it was one of the most perfect little funny things that any of these shows have done in a long time, fan service, and it just worked great for me. And every time they kind of – when they were doing that awesome fight with the axe, he's, yeah. right, he's great. <laughs> Leslie, right? He's doing all this yeah. stuff. Um, yeah. I kept on looking to say like, oh man, did they get another GOT actor? Like who's sitting in the background? I kept, but I don't think it was anybody else. No, I don't think so either though. Though I think we, we, we have to continue be vigilant, continue to be vigilant about, about freeze framing this because, I mean, there are lots of Westworld fans out there, and apparently a lot of them are famous. So yeah. there might be there might be cameos galore this season. Who knows? But um, uh, and that seems to be the thing now, right? With like the two stormtroopers from the Mandalorian, yeah, yeah. who 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 were like beating up Baby Yoda. <laughs> um, so uh, secret cameo appearances seem to be all the rage now. Yeah. So like um. So who knows? But yeah, I thought the whole thing was great. And it was, it was such a nice, one of the marks of great storytelling is when you're willing to branch out tonally from episode to episode. So last week's episode was so dark and so kind of like just dark. It was really dark. I mean, there's nothing great about Caleb's life. Uh, there was nothing 
fun and light about <laughs> what Dolores was doing. Um, so to get this episode a week later, which even though there's still heavy stuff going on and the stakes are still super high, it did feel lighter in tone, right? Yeah, it definitely did. And and this 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 part made it, and the fight too, it was really kind of cool. And I like the way the guys run away from him at the yeah. end, which happens yeah. so many times in Game of Thrones, right? Like right. where guys would just turn tail and run during a battle. So yeah. I thought that was a little wink and a nod too. Um, and then this part where Bernard is checking himself, I thought was pretty important. I pulled, oh a, I pulled some dialogue here too. He says, I've been searching my code in a tablet I made outside the park. But if Dolores yeah. planted a corruption in my code, that same corruption might mean I'd create a tablet that would ignore it. These systems are clean. If I scan myself here, I may find out once and for all what's inside me. Take a little break from this show to remind you again of our amazing presenting sponsor, Cufflinks.com. They've been with us for over a year. And we're so proud to have them. So go out and support them. If you're a listener to any of our podcasts, take a moment right now, type in Cufflinks.com slash DVR into that old web browser and you will arrive and you will be amazed, happy surprised at the amazing products that cufflinks.com has you might think to yourself hey i don't have an informal event coming up you know i'm not into cufflinks but guess what they have a lot more than that actually i'm wearing a pair of star wars socks that they sent me cufflinks.com is where it's at go to cufflinks.com slash dvr today hey everybody i've got an exciting announcement our very own Heath Santazo, a.k.a. Heath Solo, who you know is a great actor, has been writing a screenplay and is now producing his first feature film, The Star City Murders. A team of detectives are tracking down a serial killer, but his methods are like nothing law enforcement has ever seen. It's a race against time before more victims are claimed. The Star City Murders. You can be a big part of this project and become a backer. Just go to cefilms.com for all the information on the film and how to donate, or go to kickstarter.com and search The Star City Murders. And also, if you look in the show notes or at dvrpodcast.com, all the links are there for you. There are many great rewards for donating, including a tier where you get an exclusive behind-the-scene podcast hosted by me, Axel Foley. That's right. So let's help get Solo make this movie, all right? Go out there and donate $5, $10, whatever you can give. Let's make sure that Solo gets this done. And also, all the Patreon funds coming to DVR Podcast are going to this Kickstarter because we believe in Solo. This is going to be an awesome movie, and we want to be a part of it. So head on over to CE Films today. The Star City Murders, baby. Let's find the killer. So yeah, this dialogue that he's saying here is just like what you've been talking about, which is we've got the, you know, the narrative, the storyline here, which is that Dolores may well be controlling Bernard. She may well have put um, a, you know, a storyline into him. But also Bernard as a character, he continues like he's constantly in this state. We thought we kind of left that at the end of last season 
but he's kind of right back where he began. And then we look at Maeve. She's right back where we began. We look at Dolores. She's right back where she began, like, you know, falling in some dude's arms, you know? So they're still in their loops. Yeah. They're still in their loops. It's really interesting that we find all of our characters have come so far only to basically be in many respects still where they were. The other thing that I would note about the scan is that he wasn't allowed to finish it. Good point. You're right. Uh, Ashley had to interrupt him because they needed to leave. And he was able to get glimpses and he was able to at least get enough information to realize that Liam was a lead that they needed to follow up on, which that'll be interesting. But he wasn't able to complete that scan. So I wonder what would have happened had the, sp- had the scan been complete. That's true. That's true. And I guess also a point is, had a Dolores erased from his memory the fact that she beamed everyone out of the forge? Did she, you know, how much of the details had she changed from his memory? And it brings us back again to the point of, then why the hell did she make them? You know, if if she's going to make them and say, I re and do the, do the fidelity test and reconstitute him so she can have this yin yang thing going on, then why did she build him in a way that was kind of faulty and, and really more to her advantage? So there's more to that story. Absolutely. Definitely. And I guess the last question I would have for this episode is, you know, Maeve, is not in Westworld. Uh, Ashley and Bernard leave Westworld. Are we, do you think we're going to see Westworld again? You know, that's a really great question. In a weird way, last night felt like a goodbye to Westworld. It did. Like the, the fact that we saw Hector, quote unquote, for the last time, the fact that we saw Lee, quote unquote, for the last time, the fact that Bernard went there and kind of walked around, hit a few park highlights. <laughs> um, he, he went like on the goodbye His tour. Farewell tour yeah. We, yeah, we got to right. see Felix and Sylvester, right? Yeah. So I, it kind of felt like in a weird way, last night was a love letter to seasons one and two yeah. and like saying goodbye to seasons one and two Yeah, in some ways. Like saying goodbye to the physical setting of season one and two. Um, I don't think we're ever going to see it again. I, I, I think that's what my gut is telling me. Really? I think last night was the last night time we're going to see Felix and Sylvester, Lee. Um, yeah, I don't think we're going to see th- that place again. Um, and last night was sort of like our formal goodbye to it. And in a way, it was, it's sort of a, sort of a beautiful goodbye. It was. I, I mean, if that is the last time we see Westworld, I mean, I'm okay with it because like you say, I'm the same way. I take this story as it comes. Yeah. Uh, I get lost in it. And if that's the story they present, I'm fine with that. Yeah. I do. I My suspicion is that like most stories um, and especially sci-fi fantasy usually end where you begin. And True. I kind of feel like maybe – um, at some point, Westworld maybe becomes uh, a special home for hosts that don't want to live with humans, or maybe they all have to go back there because maybe Ford is still in the system, but only inside Westworld. 
I, I feel like it's such a treasure trove of coolness and and story ideas that they'll want to return there. But if we don't, we don't. And I agree with you, Ken, that was very succinctly put. I thought it was a really kind of beautiful goodbye. And even the way it seemed to be that same beach and those same rocks where um, Bernard realized and where he was talking to the Ford in his head. Yeah. That, that same, they pull back and then you get this kind of goodbye, you know, and it was almost like when Ford's journey into night, you know, that ends on the beach with uh, Dolores and Teddy, this kind of ended on the beach with Ashley and Bernard and they go off into the water. Now, now I do want to be clear. I do think that we're going to see the forge again. I just don't know, like, but the forge can be transferred to yes. another platform. Yep. Yep. I just don't think we're going to see the park again. Yeah. So we might still see characters from season one, season two, who are currently in the forge. They might make a reappearance, a la Teddy um, or anyone else, Maeve's daughter, who are in the forge. But... But I do – I mean, if, if I had to guess, I, like I said, I would think that we probably have seen the park for the last time. Um, but, but like you said, great science fiction stories do loop around, so that would be great as well. Yeah. Um, I guess my last question is, World World is one of the parks, right? It's just in this case, she was trapped in a simulation of that park. I I would think so because originally there there wasn't just Shogun World and Westworld there were like five or six parks and right, right. you know the, oh well we also saw the uh, the Raj the, yeah um, the Raj world so yeah. it makes sense that there would be a war world and a medieval world that's pretty standard yeah. stuff right so yeah, yeah. I would think so I mean that is an interesting question too because is is were they in, was that simulation somehow connected to the cradle and the way that they were simulating? How is Rehoboam or how is um, uh, Insight, You are they using a cradle-like thing as well? You know, so is it possible that he stole that program from Delos to get it proper? We don't know, right? We don't know. And and Rehoboam cannot find the land beyond. So because if Sirach could get it from Rehoboam, he would. He's trying to find it out through Good Maeve. Point. Like so there's obviously things yeah. Rehoboam cannot see, yep. which is interesting. Like what else can't Rehoboam see? Right. Like like what are the limitations of that AI? Because there obviously are limitations. I Ciroc may not want to advertise what those limitations are. And that may be one of the reasons why he feels so threatened by the technology that Delos invented, because maybe that's a blind spot for his AI. Yeah. There's got there's definitely a background to these two companies. Yeah. And in the same way that we saw snippets of Arnold and Ford when the, in their younger days, yeah. Um, I and and like when they sell, you know, Westworld to uh, to William and stuff. I think that we'll see like earlier flashbacks of kind of how these two companies rose together. Um, yeah. And I think it'll be really interesting. Well, this was a great episode, man. I think we about covered it. Yep. 
Um, I am having a, a, an awesome time doing this with you again, Ken. Thank you for coming out. Well, thank you for having me. Um, it's great to it, it, it's great to talk about this. Um, I had one more point that I wanted to bring up. Oh, yeah. Up. Okay. Um, and it's just really quick. You and I mentioned a number of times when we were covering the last, the latest season of Veronica Mars, how it had benefited from condensed storytelling and a condensed number of episodes. And you had mentioned the eight episodes of this season. I think this season is only going to benefit from only being eight episodes. I agree with you. I, I mean, I'm, I'm always a fan of that. Yeah. And I think also it's just what the creators wanted to do. Yeah. From what I understand, it, HBO didn't say to them, you only have eight episodes, you know? So just like they said to Dan and Dave, I mean, HBO wanted Dan and Dave to go for like five more seasons. Yeah. So they want the content. I think that this episode and last episode, it really shows, man, I mean – I, I I hasten to say that they made the show better by making it a little more direct, but yeah. maybe they did because these were fantastic episodes. Well, you brought up the great point early on in this podcast that they might easily have dragged that out for three, two or three episodes, the Maeve stuff, or even some of the stuff last week with Dolores could have been dragged out to multiple episodes. But the fact that it was so tight, the fact that things got resolved within the same hour, I think is, is, is a hallmark of just some really interesting storytelling. Yeah, I think it definitely is. I am really looking forward to the rest of this season and uh, we're going to be here every Monday. That's right. Covering Westworld, keeping your mind off Corona, baby. Keep <laughs> it positive right. and keep yes. safe out there, people. We'll be back again on Wednesday. Me, Brett, and Jenny. And then Andy, Gina, and Tim will be back on Friday. You can check out Ashea and I covering Better Call Saul. And hey, go back and listen to Veronica Mars. Ken and I did all of Veronica Mars, the whole damn thing. Um, we also did the last season of Game of Thrones, so check that out too, baby. We got That's a lot right. of stuff for you to listen to while you're at home. We appreciate the downloads. We appreciate the time. Peace out, everybody. it off baby all right let's start this sucker off can't wait to talk about the dan and dave part 
Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I thought about you. You were the only person I thought about oh, when buddy. when like, I thought about. I like I wanted to call you like right then. I wanted to like I know. like I like I wish we had been in the same room and <laughs> could have just like looked over at each other. Me too, man. As soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, I can't wait to talk to Ken about this. It'd be great. All right, here we go.